Well, okay, I'm not going to bring national politics into this, but let's just say I think some recent court filings have convinced me of that as well. Daddy, um, okay, yeah, we can't go off on that because it has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. But it all, oh, if as a, if as a just a person living in the world, you see that and it's frustrating. Oh, as a lawyer, imagine oh, what's like to be a lawyer. Oh, Kyle. Oh, buddy. <laughs> let's let's talk about today's episode. <laughs> No, okay, yeah. This is the Big Bang Theory Theory, and I'm Kyle. There, Thank you, Kyle. Out of the way. This is this is the show where we generally don't get too deep into politics or the, the nature of justice. Because the deep state won't let us. That's true. I'm waiting for Q to finally blow down all these walls that are keeping us apart so I can start binging my precious adrenochrome. Um, but don't look any of those things up. <laughs> but... Uh, this usually is a podcast where we watch the wildly popular television network sitcom The Big Bang Theory, and we generally we, we give a brief summary of the episode, and then, hey, then we pick it apart because we're real nerds. We're not like TV nerds. We're the, we're real life nerd people. And today's episode, I will summarize very bluntly as confronting the real life issue of having to do dirty things to get funding because it it starts with the nerds talking about how they're gonna get in they're all in leonard's apartment they're talking about how they're getting invited no sorry they're not in the apartment they're in the, the university cafeteria and the, the university president is there and he basically threatens the nerds into attending a fundraising dinner party and so i mean he literally at one point well, we'll talk about it later, but yes, threatens is the right word. Yes, Just keep it, on. it is don't a let literal break your, threat. We'll, we'll don't let me break it. your summary. And so the, the, the nerds all give in, except for Sheldon initially. He's too proud. And so three out of four of the main nerds go. Not Again, so we talked about this briefly. I'm not going to get carried away, but why Bernadette isn't involved if she does work at the university is a question. Amy Farrah Fowler, I'm confused about because I've been assuming she works at the university, but apparently has a privately funded lab. I don't know how that works. So it's just our male nerds, and three out of four of them attend. They're uncomfortable. They're they're getting dressed down by potential fundraisers. Sh- Sheldon has sort of a, a reverse pep talk with Amy Farrah Fowler, who isn't like, hey— congratulations for taking your your stand i'm proud of you but instead is like you got to get money somehow so you're gonna have to go kiss some asses so so sheldon arrives and the fundraiser goes i think relatively poorly they don't get deep into it in the episode but the president's not really happy with anyone's performance um except that leonard then finds himself getting a call back from the particularly nasty primary fundraiser played by Jessica Walter of Arrested Development fame and also of of Archer. She, I guess, her entire Hollywood role is to just play acerbic women. And so she wants to discuss fundraising with Leonard. Leonard meets with her, has dinner, and then on the way home in their in their rented private car, not rented like Enterprise rental, but she has a driver. And in the back seat, she totally makes moves on him sexually, puts his puts her mouth on his mouth, and is like, "Baby, this is how you get funded." Ooh, 
And then Leonard goes through a, a very brief, but nonetheless very dark period of, oh God, what what is this world we live in? What am I doing? Uh, he gets called again, uh, gets called upon again by fundraiser, goes into it this time as, I'm putting my foot down. I'm not going to prostitute, sorry, my dropping shit. I'm not going to prostitute myself for, for fundraising uh, and then ends up giving it anyway after fundraiser says this wasn't a quid pro quo i just think you're cute and i was making a move by the way i need you to know that i have the the sickest moves and the nastiest whap and so leonard goes for it and he he fucks jessica walter and that's the episode so no you're leaving out your so uh, well ask your question that's what you were doing exactly what i was going to ask you to do you're leaving out the best part, which is after he sleeps with her for entirely non-salutary reasons, salutary for not for money, everyone still assumes it is for money anyway, which leads to, to be honest, <coughs> normally you wait to ask me, but I actually really like this episode. Oh. And I think, uh, I think I just like the, I think it has one of the best setups to payoffs of any Big Bang Theory episode we've seen because the final button is he walks back into the college cafeteria or the university cafeteria and all everyone else in the cafeteria gives him a standing ovation because he was willing to fuck this old lady to get them their funding. And the president slaps him on the shoulder and, you know... It, it, to be honest, we often talk about how much better Peep Show is than this show, yeah. but this is like the closest this show I think has ever gotten to being a Peep Show episode because he's like, well, I can't fuck someone for money. Can I? And he's like, no, I can't, but I can fuck them if they're really sexy. But then everybody thinks I fuck them for money. Should I correct them? I guess I will. Oh, but it doesn't matter in the end. And it ends with – it ends – Frankly, uh, with like the perfect one-two punch, I thought, because the first is the president of the college who was played – I don't know this guy's real name, but he was Will Bailey on the West Wing. Um, and, and Leonard is trying to tell these people who are cheering for him, no, I didn't do it for the money. And Will Bailey looks at him and goes, yeah, keep telling yourself that. Mm-hmm. It makes it easier. Trust me, I know. And he just has this haunted expression on his face. Just – the dude is such a – is like a real – like a real school actor, right? So despite this being like a, a pretty stupidly plotted sitcom, he really nails the, you will not believe the number of old women I have had sex with <laughs> just to keep this place going, just in a facial expression and an intonation in his voice. And then as he steps out and the credits fade to black, the last line of dialogue goes to Wallowitz over the credits. So how was she? And yeah. I just thought, I was like, that's like, that's the, not Classy is not the right word, but that's probably the best outro the show has had in a long time. Okay. So, Kyle, I this this isn't my favorite episode, but it's also not a bad episode. I feel like we are so fortunate right now, diving into a, a, a generally pretty dog shit television series, <laughs> that th- this last episode and this episode I thought were, were pretty good. The last episode, I think, so far is maybe still my favorite. This episode, I... I was shocked by because it very casually confronts a lot of dark issues. Yes. And I took several notes about things that 
didn't exactly make my jaw drop, but made me ask, who is this show for? And who wrote this episode? Because something that... Oh, and before I forget, uh, I, I, I didn't mention at the top. Today's episode is season four, episode 15. Uh, it's called officially The Benefactor Factor. And something that I, th- I, I was questioning, because, you know, we, we do often, most of the time, tear into the show for being tripe. But I started to wonder for a little while there, like, am I holding the show to too high of a standard? It is a sitcom, a big network sitcom. It's supposed to be easily consumable, you know? It's not supposed to offend anybody. It's not supposed to shock anybody. It's not supposed to really make you think. And something that I brought up over and over again, so there's very little character development and how realistically most sitcoms aren't going to have that because the idea is that any random person can jump in at any episode, get the gist of what's going on, and, and be carried along to forget about how terrible their own life is for 22 minutes plus ad breaks. But with this episode, it it's very pessimistic and very it makes a lot of jokes that I feel like I would make if you know if I were still out in the world and doing stand up. But the difference between me and the show is that when I'm telling jokes, I know that what I'm saying is often discomforting and that I don't want the audience to feel good necessarily. And I've wondered if I should change to be more easily consumable or if I should stick with my stance of, this is me, who I am. But this show, when it does something like this, I ask, why is this happening now? What what changed? Because, okay, so one example, and this is not even a heavy plot point of the episode. This is a throwaway, move-things-along joke that Sheldon makes. And it's... um. In the cold intro, when the the university professor is running around the cafeteria, glad handing with everyone, and he makes you mean this big president. Sorry, yes, I, I just said professor, didn't I? Yes, president. Yeah. He is giving the pitch to the nerds about first why they should come to the event, and then follows up with come to the event or else. I, Leonard Arage, one of the two, is really open and excited about it, and Sheldon stops in to say, ho, ho, wait, wait one second, all right? You don't just get in the windowless van because the nice man offers you. Oh, yes, I forgot about this. Well, so that's part one. And already (laughs) that's kind of like, okay, that's a pretty common thing for, I think, sitcoms is to make the joke about... uh, The kitty snatcher. The kitty snatcher, the rapist, the horribly dark thing... That goes in and out real quick. You're like, yeah. if I thought but, about that but for But no second, follow-up tangible details. Right. If I thought about that, that would be distressing. But the point of me is to not think about it and to react and move on. And so Sheldon does that. And then the conversation goes on a little bit longer. And then Sheldon <laughs> later makes reference to the tear-stained air mattress in the back of the <laughs> van. And that's when I'm like, holy shit. Who did this? Who who gave this the thumbs up? Who thought the masses wanted to hear that? And part of me is like, God damn, that's that's real talk. But just as like someone trying to look at this as a product intended to be consumed by the widest audience, I don't understand it. I don't get it. What what is this show, Kyle? What are we watching? 
I mean, it's a it's an uneven product. I do think that uh, like I don't know who wrote this episode, but sort of because like, we had this before, right? With the with the famous brine pickled uh, tongue that came to mind. Yes, it just seems like every now and then, and this is easily explainable by like the writers have to not collapse a boredom in the writers' room. It just it it makes sense to me that every now and then, you know, some shit is gonna slip by. You know, to be honest, I don't think that like. My guess is they don't – well, I don't know. It would surprise me if they spent a lot of time worrying about whether or not their jokes were too dark on this show. It seems more like they just like they just aim for middle brow and then they hit it. But I doubt like they censor themselves a lot other than like making sure that there's no naughty words in the episode. But I could be wrong about that. I will say this this episode had several more moments like that now that you're pointing it out. So the first, which is non-sexual in nature – was the president finally in his closing pitch at the beginning, he's like, no, you're going to come to this thing or I'm going to gouge your eyes out with a spoon like they do to that kid in Slumdog Millionaire, which mm-hmm. I had, which I had never seen. And I assume it's just a thing that happened. To, to be honest, in the moment, I was mostly thinking about like, that's the fourth fucking Slumdog Millionaire reference they've made on this fucking tv show yeah. do they really expect that it i mean yes well i guess well, that's actually it was like the titanic of movies when it came out wasn't it even though i've never seen it, it a lot that, of people that's, did that's one of those movies that at the time was a huge hit and yet has nonetheless had almost zero long-standing cultural impact but to specific I, I i did see it in theaters when it came out and to describe what the, the president is referencing is there is this whole shady like organization this underground organization of of people who you will find these blind kids on the streets singing and begging for money and i think the average passerby would say oh how unfortunate that this child is is blind of course i should help but then it what happens is that the character almost goes through this the reason these children are blind is that the people running this this organization are kidnapping children, pouring hot oil into their eyes to blind them, and then forcing them to go out to sing to collect the the money. And so it's obviously dark just on the surface. And the thing it's referencing is so much bigger and hideous. Yes. And usually, yeah, and usually, like, when they have a Slumdog Millionaire reference, it's just so Raj can, you know, make a... India's just like in Slumdog Millionaire joke. Right. But in this one, it was just out of nowhere. The president's like, now I'm going to, fu- you know, I'm going to go with the... It, like, I could... See, basically, it's like, well, they used Slumdog Millionaire at the time, but if this show were coming out today, it would have been like, y'all are coming to this thing, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to Ramsey Bolton your asses. And <laughs> I'm going to play this... I don't get that reference. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna go full Game of Thrones on you. Explain you know, the Ramsey Bolton reference. He 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 uh, tortures one of the main characters of that show quite hideously, including uh, chopping show? off Game of Thrones. Okay, thank you. I, I, I've I watched th- two episodes total of Game of Thrones. Ramsey no Bolton is a psychopath. He cuts off a dude's dick in the show and then like eats it in front of him. I think, or maybe he doesn't. It's ambiguous whether or not the thing he's eating is actually the dude's dick. Okay. Um, so anyway, it was just a yeah, it was weird and and asynchronous, and it did sort of hit me out of nowhere. I I, I actually the the van thing I just think went by so quickly I didn't register it, which is probably a big part of what they count on when they make those jokes, right? Right. But the other, uh, but the last one similarly. Well, and then there's the whole weird. 
I know you think that I'm an old lady, but I was married to a very rich man and I kept him happy for a long time. Just use your imagination for what that what that really looked like, which is itself sort of a fun little mental game to play with your audience. Well, and I want to mention specifically for that, I, I included in my own notes reference to the Cardi B slash Megan the Stallion song WAP, because there is a card there's a Cardi B line in there which is, I don't cook, I don't clean. But let me tell you how I got this ring. And that's Jessica Walter for you. She she fucks so nasty that she doesn't have to have other reasons for men to want to marry and give her money. Yes, and just so everyone knows how big a nerd I am, uh, I still am not sure I've listened to that song all the way through, but I know that line because someone made a parody of all the Green Lanterns with their normal Green Ant- Lantern oath swapped out for those lyrics and it was pretty funny oh jesus oh uh, oh god <laughs> i'm not judging the, i'm just in shock that well you know it's hal jordan thrusting his magic ring into the air saying i don't cook i don't clean let me tell you how i got this ring and then finally this is not bad but it's also it was just it struck me by how ridiculously vivid it was and sort of the same way to be honest i think this is good writing right like it's weird for me to compliment the show on being on like having moments of good writing, but I'm vivid deep bated breath that you're about to reference the exact thing I want to reference. <laughs> well, I don't know. Leonard is walking up the stairs, having been ravaged all night. Uh, Penny walks out of her apartment, and she's she already knows what's going on. So she takes one look at him, and she's like, "Good morning, slut!" In like a fun way. It's always right. fun when you call your friend slut, right? I can she see does that. that thing that only cute girls can do, where they stick their tongue slightly through their teeth after they say something. Yes, it's 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 a good it's a good moment for her. And he's like, "I don't know what you're talking about." And she's like, "Come on, I've seen the Walk of Shame. The only thing that's missing is a pair of used panties, like poking out like of your purse right now." And I was like, "Yeah, that's a good, you know, that's very evocative. I can see it." <laughs> so that that wasn't what I was thinking you're going to reference, and I'll, I'll bring up my own note. But that nonetheless hit me because of one morning where I woke up, not sure how I gotten there or I was even initially and then also had to walk home with my own bunched up underwear in in my hand and that is that is a tale for another time why couldn't you just put the underwear back on I think that's the only part that of is that. a tale for another time <laughs> <laughs> the last thing I remember is being in a dive bar and drinking something bright green while a woman I may have known is reading me my horoscope <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, so what was your thing? My thing was, so the after the cold open, the, the nerds, again, three out of four of them, and then later Sheldon, they do go to the, the president's fundraiser, and he's got this, you know, big fancy house with all these, you know, well-dressed people walking around, chit-chatting, eating appetizers, whatever, and Raj kind of nonchalantly says... Oh, this is a lot like my family's house back in India, except we had more servants. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that's kind of messed up. And the the nerds are – the other nerds, not Raj, are surprised both about Raj's wealth and then also a little put off by him saying, oh, you had servants. But this is where I thought it was good writing is that was the setup for the next line – which is, oh, yeah, in my country, we, we're not so foolish as to let poor people have dreams. And I was like, oh, shit. 
Uh, yes. that... He says it so casually, too. Yeah. It sort, of, it sort of confirms, to be honest, that line sort of brings Raj together as a character for me in ways that, like, I've been looking for him to cohere. So from now on, when I see him and he's doing something weird and I don't understand, I'll just be like, oh, yeah, Raj is, you know, is basically an aristocrat in a foreign. He's basically Eddie Murphy in Coming to America, only an asshole. Yeah. It's, uh,. Oh, boy. That movie, by the way, Coming to America, have you watched that at all in, like, the last 10 years? I've never seen it. Some people tell me it's very good. Some people tell me it's super racist. So I don't know. I can see how it could be racist. That's not what struck me, but it does give a very goofy uh, depiction of of Africa. But the thing that holds up, that stood out to me, is that it's not funny. <laughs> it's, I think that is one of Eddie Murphy's comedies that just doesn't hold up. That I loved as a kid, and then watching it as an adult, I'm like, yeah, this is fine. Not necessarily even a bad movie, but not a good comedy. Anyway, so, and then I think last two specific notes. No, I'm, okay, I was going to say two spe- The thing is, I have several more notes. I don't know how much I want to just get into these, because I don't want to grind everything to a halt, but... Kyle, uh, what else? What else did you think was worth talking about? Well, like I said, so Penny. This is the first time we have seen Penny not be jealous of one of Leonard's relationships, and I sort of get why. But it was kind of fun. It was kind of like I, frankly, I like this dynamic between them much better than the other one. Like if the show were, and we've talked about this before, if instead of the show being like, are these two ever going to get together? It was just going. If it, it was just like. They're having sex with random people, and every now and then they look at each other and they go, nice. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a better show. Yeah. <laughs> I can see, like, some big beefcake walks out of Penny's apartment, and just as uh, Leonard is coming up with the mail, and he, you know, he, he, they pass in the hallway, and then Leonard looks at Penny and, like, you caught that dick, huh? But that was nice. Have a good day. And goes back in his apartment. What a great show that would be. And then... But also in this episode, probably less fun, but still not a bad joke, is because um, like you said, what actually this comes down to, what's at the heart of this episode are the ethics of prostitution. Yeah. And Sheldon, in trying to convince Leonard that there's nothing wrong with prostitution and that he should be encouraged, repeatedly in the episode turns to Penny and is like, come on, Penny, tell him. Tell him it's okay to have sex for, you know, monetary or other gain. You should know. And Penny's like, what are you implying about me? He's like, I'm paying you a compliment. Yeah. And so that's something that this isn't fair to the show I'm comparing it to. Um, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is uh, a brilliant show. But it did strike me as a Larry David moment of not being mean-spirited, but getting flack for being too frank. Where... As much as anyone may want to believe, and you know, you know, it might even be wrong. Maybe I'm being too cynical here, but you know that that Penny, in her pursuits or whatever, is only genuinely interested in love. That you know, sometimes people fuck because they have other needs. You know, it's like, hey, what what can I get out of this? That's just a part of life. That's a part of living. And for Sheldon to kind of dive into this role almost as Leonard's pimp, but he t- he's a little more hands off than that. But to just be like, yeah, sex for good. So what? Get it. That's great. It's like, the Sheldon, this is a surprisingly, ex- well, not surprisingly, but a, a welcome, accepting and positive sex worker stance for you to take. Yes. I mean, who among us, 
like this is this was my f- sort of final thought for the episode was was and and you know it's actually I think Wallowitz says this it's like wait that old lady came out she wants she's going to buy you everything you need for your laboratory and all you have to do is have sex with her you lucky duck it's like frankly you know I like how the episode resolved itself but also you know Jessica Walter is not a bad looking older woman I think I think Leonard was getting a good deal as it was offered to him yes it's if you think of sex as being this distinct moral love act kind of thing, there's no way that you could accept that kind of transaction. But if you think of sex as something that anyone else would do for any number of reasons, there'd be no reason to turn down a quid pro quo. And actually, that reminds me... um, Particularly if you've had... Because it's not like... uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, particularly, it's not like... It's not actually... I mean, this is fine too, but it's not actually like he's doing it so he can have some spending money. This is in pursuit of his, basically his dream. It's his art, right? And as someone who has been a struggling artist from time to time in my life, not in like the pretentious sense, just in the sense like, you know, I wish I had more money to pursue my dreams. If an old lady came to me and was like, yeah, you know, you want to make a movie? I'll fund your movie. Just, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's roll in the hay for a little bit first. Are you kidding? Yeah. Jump at it. Well, and so as a as a, a supremely woke individual whose own moral stances cannot be attacked because I respect and defer to everyone's lived experiences, etc., etc., I do want to emphasize that I think we are leading into problematic territory of, yeah, if a powerful person wants you to have sex with them, you should probably just do it. And I don't want to give that impression. Fair but enough. I do want That's to say point. that if you are acting, you know, in your own best interests, and it's something that you want to do without compromising yourself in any way, yeah, fuck it. Literally, fuck it. You know, like, what, I've got something to gain. This might be fun. Sure, why not? You know, don't give in to creeps. Become the creep. There, that's what I say. <laughs> Yes. Well, now, now I feel bad, but you, but I get what you're saying overall. Um, well, and so actually, it so- does, it does sort of raise the, like if this, if this exact same episode had played out, but the genders were reversed, I feel like we'd feel a lot weirder about it. Well, that's something that came to mind is I'd, I'd for the first time recently seen Legally Blonde, and yes. a, 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 a very important plot point of that is that this. So the the I can't remember the character's name Reese Witherspoon's character, but she's like a very ditzy L Woods. L Woods, yeah, seemingly Jesus. just surface level sorority girl who goes to Harvard Law School to chase a boy, basically. And on the one hand, you know, it's oh look at the extents that this young woman is willing to go just to stay in this stupid relationship. But what the movie points out, and this isn't even what I meant to get into, it's just kind of it's coming as it's coming. But the, but the movie actually gets to is like, well, but also look at what she's obviously capable of. Maybe she did this for the wrong reasons, but she's, in spite of being surface level, ditzy, fun, fashion obsessed party girl, she's a very capable, smart young woman who can really do whatever she wants if that's what she wants to do. And so she does end up in a successful law internship position. And then one of the firm partners totally creeps on her. And I wonder if there would be a way to write that 
in an empowering way for for Elle Woods to say, yeah, this gross old dude came on to me and this is what I wanted to take advantage of. This is my choice versus what is portrayed. And what I think is more common is, oh, this old powerful man came on to me and I felt like I had to do this or else. Well, I think, I mean, yes, some... Like, there was an interesting, uh, I think it was uh, This American Life episode where they delved into, delved into a guy who was a serial one of these people. Not like, uh, not like Harvey Weinstein serial, but still not great. And they, did, they basically interviewed three different women who had slept with him. And two of them were like, I didn't feel like I had a choice. And one of them was just like, nah, I knew exactly what I was doing the whole time and it was fine. So it is interesting how even under the same... Like the same conditions, people can think about it differently. But I was also going to say, just just to, if if we're going to parse all this out um, and be really specific about this it, this is what the show's really about, Kyle. Yeah, you know, it's about the banging theory. The first off, Jessica Walters' character does something really cool that you don't hear about a lot in these real situations, which is, I mean, she does sort of. It's presented one way at first, maybe. That's why Leonard is so stressed out about it. Um, and so maybe she could have clarified her intentions up front, and that would have been cool. But by the end, she's very clear. She's like, no, you're getting the money either way. It's just in addition to getting the money, I would also like us to have sex. Yes. Um, and so I feel like that, it's like the coercive element, like... I guess what I'm saying is I'm okay a lot of the time with the carrot. It's the stick that's fucked up because a lot of these stories, it's like, well, you can have, you can, you can, I can help your career or I can destroy your career. Um, and it's your choice. And guess what's going to be the deciding factor in that? So if someone's like, if someone comes along and is like, yeah, I'd like to further your career along, but you know, otherwise you, uh, or I'd like to help you get this thing that you need under these conditions. But, you know, if you don't want that, then uh, we can go our separate ways. Right. Then that seems – that's obviously – you know, it might still create some problems, but it's not as bad. And then the other thing I want to say is in this scenario – in the scenario in the episode, they don't have any continuing connection to each other other than this one event. I think it's different just fundamentally like when the person is like your boss. Like if you're in a writer's room and like the head of the writer's room propositions you, like even if even if they think that they're being totally like 100% cool about it, it's yeah. just like no one who has the ability to fire you should also be allowed to, you know, proposition you. It just it's it's a bad it's a bad uh, deal. Yeah. Well, and so I think I mostly agree with you, except that that was one of the parts of the actual writing structure of the episode that I was critical of, is that though in the end, Jessica Walter's character says, basically, I just think you're cute and was making a move. You're going to get funded either way, is what was like salvaging her character because the previous interaction... I feel like that the very obvious suggestion was fuck me if you want money. Or as I put it in my notes, uh, Leonard's going to have to pay for his lab and man pussy. But it's, uh, I felt that was, well, like, we've had, it's not like this show is totally, because remember, uh, Wallowitz had that with, uh, what's her name? Leslie Winkle. Like she literally, like they had a whole, episode where she was basically and he was and like you said for most of the episode he was fine with it and it was only at the end that he felt kind of weird about it yeah 
What's but it? the episode didn't do a good job of like presenting it and sort of in like contextualizing his his moral ambivalence about it compared to this episode. Yeah, this episode is the real shit. And to to dial it back a notch, I'm going to reference an earlier incident that I think is a little more playful, which is at the fundraising dinner when the nerds meet Jessica Walter. She immediately tears them all down, as is her want as Jessica Walter. And then later on in the party, she does warm up to Leonard a little and talks about, and, and he's like, oh, God, but you're so awful to, to me before. And she's like, yeah, but that's just for fun. Like, that's one of the great parts of having so much money is people just put up with what you do. And so she shows this power by Raj has a jumbo shrimp that's already in his mouth. And and she she chastises him and says like, "Hey, who told you you could put that in? Who told you who told you you have that?" And he spits it back out, out again, and she laughs with Leonard. And it reminded me of this line near the end of the movie The Beach Bum, which I also I highly recommend that movie. I hear it's divisive, but I love it. But Jonah Hill plays this agent or publisher, or whoever he is. And near the end of the film, he's talking with Matthew McConaughey's, McConaughey's character, and he says, you know what one of the best parts of being, being ridiculously wealthy is? Is you can treat people horribly, and they just have to take it. And that is Jessica Walter's character in this episode. Yes. Yes, I think we can all agree that uh, this show reveals the fundamental truth of capitalism, which is it's inherently exploitative, and the, the rich class should be... Uh, Treated like the corrupt rulers they are and guillotined. Exactly. Kyle, do you have any uh, anything else about this episode you want to talk about, or should we wrap it up on guillotining? <laughs> nope. I think, I, like I said, something about this one, it would be, in, I can't imagine they'll keep it up, but I just thought this one was fun. Yeah. And I thought particularly most of these episodes sort of fizzle out without any meaningful resolution. Mm-hmm. It's just like, well, that happened and the episode's over. I thought they did a good job of sticking the landing on this one in the sense that after he sleeps with her, it's clear that he's Leonard will forever be remembered as the guy who fucked Jessica Walters for the new electron microscope or whatever. Yeah. This is uh, the, uh, the second episode in a row for me. That's good. Hopefully this is the beginning of a trend. Hopefully like, Maybe Jerry in the writer's room, they stopped ignoring him whenever he raised his hand, you know? I don't know what the change is, but this this was, a I thought, a good episode of television. Or ironically, maybe Jerry in the writer's room, you know, started drinking again. And, you know, it's it's going to be bad for him long term, but man, is it good for his art. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, something's wrong with Jerry at home. But the yeah. way he's processing it, the way he's sublimating is great. <laughs> That's really isn't Jennifer Walter really just the metaphor for the slow and crippling addiction that is destroying his life, but that he needs just to make it through his career. Yeah. And it's so sweet when it's happening, but so shameful when it's done. He doesn't like the reasons he does it, but when he does it, boy, does he love it. (laughs) Okay. Now we're done with the goddamn episode. (laughs) All right. So nerd thing of the week. Also a general plug. Hey, we're on I, all the streaming services. If you're listening to this, that doesn't help you because you already have access to it. But tell your friends to listen. We don't advertise. We probably should, but I'm too lazy to look into it. Just share the podcast. You love us, obviously, so keep doing it. Kyle, I have a nerd thing loaded and in the chamber. but Hit wanna... me. Hit me, baby. Okay. I'm giving 1.5 recommendations this week. So the 0. 0.5 
is going to be for a Netflix documentary called Trial 4. And I watched this because it... I mean, the real reason, as embarrassing as it is, is I had to work from home for a little while, and I took a couple days off because there was a COVID scare. And I was like, oh, I could just relax, but I'll feel more comfortable if I pretend I'm doing work by watching something criminal justice-oriented. So I'm sick in the brain. But I did watch Trial 4, and it focuses on this young black man. Well, he's young at the time of the incident, uh, Sean Ellis, who is accused of murdering or at least being a participant in the murder of an apparently legendary Boston cop. And he is not convicted at his first trial. He's not acquitted. There's a hung jury. And so they have to dismiss. Not dismiss. They have to declare mistrial. Um, and then the prosecution tries him again. And again, there's a hung jury. And so the tr- the, they try him a third time. And he's convicted on the third time. And the rest of the series deals with, because it's an eight-episode series on Netflix, and it deals with his time in prison and whether he's going to ever get a new trial, what actually happened in the incident, and what it means to be a person who appears to be wrongfully convicted and to have to live with that. And the reason I'm giving this my half recommendation is because I think this is one in a very large suite of criminal justice entertainment that focuses on the person who was convicted for obviously flawed reasons. And so you're moving forward through it with the assumption that they are in fact innocent, they're the hero of their own story, and that whatever is brought to light is going to either exonerate the, exonerate them or justify their actions or whatever, you're going into it knowing that this person is the good guy. And the reason I'm critical of that is because it is great when you are able to save the life of someone who is wrongfully convicted. But I, a flaw, I ha- a criticism I have, uh, both of the justice system and of society at large, man, is that there are plenty of people who actually did just do whatever they're convicted of. They can, it, that's, that's a lot of people. They committed the crime, they did it, and some sort of punishment or retribution or rehabilitation is just going to be a part of that. And I wish there was a bigger focus on wanting to treat people who are, in fact, guilty, treating them nonetheless decently. <laughs> and something that I think does do that, and this is my full recommendation for this episode is the podcast Ear Hustle. And so this podcast started maybe three years ago, and it is recorded by actual prisoners in the San Quentin State Prison in California. And these are not a whole group of people who are saying, oh, I was innocent, oh, it was all a setup, et cetera, et cetera. No, they're people who are convicted and are just doing their time. And they're trying to figure out how to progress. And this is a... a, Real people podcast. There's nothing fictional about this. These are people who are trying to move on with their lives. You know, I did the bad thing. I was in a bad place. I had my bad reasons, whatever it was. But this is who I am now. I'm not just a criminal. I'm a person. And I think as far as any media I'm aware of, it goes the furthest I've experienced in humanizing people who are criminals. And I want to emphasize that it doesn't excuse their actions even, 
You know, it's not like, oh, they did this, but it's, they're just, they're just dudes. You know, they're dudes that made a real stupid mistake at some point, but they are so much more than that. And that's something that has come up in my real life practice as a defense attorney is trying to convince judges or juries that, yeah, maybe my client did this, but this is them at their, their worst. They are so much more than this one terrible thing that they did. And aside from that, it's also just like a fun show. Like these are people who are just like fun, interesting people that are fun to listen to. Like one of the the more recent episodes, it was, was a few guys who had gotten out, you know, they'd done their time and they had a cook off, but the rules were that they could only use ingredients and methods of prep that they could have used in prison. And so like, you're dealing with like a lot of ramen, you're dealing with like little, uh, not hot dishes, uh, heating plates, whatever they're called, you know, like little tiny cookers. And so I'll cut it off there because I could talk about it forever. But I, I love this show. I absolutely recommend it. I would not recommend starting with the most recent episode because this is the one that actually made me think of recommending this because the most recent episode deals with someone who committed a pretty brutal crime and the hosts of this show don't believe that this guy is genuinely remorseful. And because it is so graphic, it's a rough start. I do recommend, though, going back to the beginning of the series and listening through because it's it's a really good episode. It's not cheesy. It's not like uplifting like, oh, God, everyone has hope and it's going to be okay. But it's like, these are just some people, people that made mistakes and are living with those mistakes. So ear hustle podcast. Listen to that. Your turn, Kyle. Yeah, I like that. Um, that. What a great, great recommendation. Thank you. I feel like mine is not that good. It's also <laughs> not that, but it, thankfully, like yours was not particularly nerdy this week and neither right. is mine, which is thank you because I was freaking out about it. No, I was getting um, embarrassed as I was ending mine because I'm like, this is my, my personal criminal justice side coming out. It's not nerdy at all, but I guess if you're a criminal justice nerd, then technically... Uh, well, but. okay. So by that same logic, then mine is incredibly nerdy, but only if you're a very specific type of uh, film and, and theater nerd. My... Because I was really grasping at straws, sort of basically, you know, all week I was just like, what am I going to recommend? And I just had nothing. And anyway, yesterday, just because I was bored, I ended up popping in uh, a movie which I always have like within five seconds of I can go from zero to watching it. And then I ended up, of course, watching most of it because that's just how this movie and I work together. And that movie is All That Jazz. Do you know anything about All That Jazz? No, I don't think so. So All That Jazz is a movie that came out in 1979 starring Roy Roy Schneider. Is that right? Roy, yeah, Roy Schneider, the guy who's the sheriff in Jaws. Okay. Uh, you know, sort of a tall, thin-looking dude, if you recall. And in the show, he plays Joe Gideon, uh, like the world's greatest musical theater director and cinematographer, who is also just turning out to be one of the world's greatest, like, directors and editors of film period so he's like he's like at the top of his game musical theater wise he's making this movie that everybody thinks is going to be really good he's a serial womanizer who is uh who is dating one woman while having sex with a series of others and working on a show with his ex-wife who kind of hates his guts but still respects him i bring all this up because the movie was directed by a man named bob fossey and bob fossey as it turns out was 
one of the world's greatest uh, musical theater directors and choreographers and also a director of film for which he won uh, several awards. And so the weird thing about the movie is it is one of the most blatantly autobiographical films you will ever see using someone else as a stand-in for yourself. So, like, it is not really denied at any point that the person on screen is supposed to be the main character or is supposed to be the director, but it's not presented as, like, a documentary. It's presented as, like, this hyper-stylized... Well, that's what's we So, what's weird about the movie... There are many things that are weird about the movie, but it starts off with just, like, a review of what his uh, his days and weeks look like, you know, as he goes in and he works, like, you know, for eight hours, you know, trying to work on this musical, and then he works another four hours, you know, editing this film, and then he goes, has sex with some random woman, and then he goes to bed at, like, four in the morning, and then he gets up and he takes a bunch of of speed and smokes a bunch of cigarettes and takes a shower and starts all over again. And uh, as he slowly starts to break down from the stress and exhaustion of it all, he, his, uh, his, he starts imagining that he's having conversations with this weird woman who he tells stories about his life and about his inner thoughts. And slowly things start to morph and real life becomes a series of elaborate musical numbers and on and on and on. Um, it is a really great film. Like that's basically the only thing I have to say about it is that it's a really, really fantastic. I think many people agree. It's like one of the best films ever made. If you know anything about Bob Fosse, then it's also interesting as an artifact of that. But I don't think you need to know that. Like it's, it's just a, it's a great film and it's a particularly an incisive look at someone who is doing something that they recognize is slowly killing them. Like the basic, the basic premise of the movie uh, sort of like almost like the wrestler is that like the strain of everything that the main character has going on, just keeping up with it all is slowly like literally destroying his health. And it's just like, well, if you know that and you also like, why not slow down a little bit? And it's just like an exploration of why that's hard. But instead of being like grim and gritty about it, it's incredibly uh, sort of sarcastic about the whole thing sarcastic and incredibly well staged and it has you know i'm just i'm gonna spoil it um just because i don't think it really matters to your enjoyment of the movie probably the weirdest thing like i said since this is basically uh an autobiographical film is that the movie ends with the main character having a gigantic card attack that kills him and the death sequence is framed as like a as like this incredibly crazy musical number where like all the people he has met in his life come out on stage and they sing and dance um, and it's really great. It's just like a show-stopping thing um, that sticks with you. But it's just like it's just like weird watching a movie about a guy being like, "Yes, I recognize that my behavior is sort of bad, and also this is definitely how I'm going to die." He's like, "I'm going to have a heart attack one of these days because I can't stop working." And this is just me explaining that I know that and that I'm okay with it. <laughs> the end. All right, I respect that. And so, just to clarify, uh. All That Jazz is the recommendation, correct? All That Jazz, 1979, directed by Bob Fosse, starring Roy Schneider. All right. Schneider. There's no N in it. Schneider. Okay. So, cool. Two not particularly nerdy recommendations that nonetheless have had some sort of significant impact on the both of us. Look at We have an episode that's dark, that's real, and it brought that out in us. This is... I think that from now on, the Big Bang Theory is going to be a really great way of 
forcing us to, to peer into our own cores yes. to see what darknesses we can draw out and process. I agree. If there's one thing, you know, I always wake up with at the beginning of the day, I think, boy, how is my, how am I slowly morphing into uh, the sitcom television show and how is it a commentary on my life? <laughs> <laughs>